As we prepare to hear from God's word, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Eternal Father was spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, the incarnate word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that word and the power of the Spirit. And we pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write it on their hearts. Write on our hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. And all of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning. We've been considering a series through the Gospel of Mark, and we've come to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. We want to read together from Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through the end of the chapter. So Mark chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 35, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him. From every quarter. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may He bless it to us. One of my favorite phrases in the Heidelberg Catechism appears in its teaching on the second commandment, and the phrase that I like so much is We must not be wiser than God. We must not be wiser than God. Now, boys and girls, of course, we know that we can't be wiser than God, God is wiser than all of us. But what the catechism really means there is we should not try to be wiser than God. We should not act like we're wiser than God. When God tells us to do one thing, we should not do the other. Uh, We should do what God calls us to do. Um, And acting like we're wiser than God is a perfect description of when we follow our own wills, our own ideas, our own agendas, rather than following what God's will for our lives is that will that's spelled out in his word. Um, And our passage this morning is filled with people who think they are wiser than God, who think they have a better way than what God has laid down for them in his word. And thankfully, Mark helps us to see that we ought not to do that. He helps us to see Christ's priorities in advancing the kingdom of God. 
It helps to remind us what God's priorities are as his kingdom goes on. Um, that if we should not set our own agendas or do our own thing. And so help to, how does Mark help us see Christ's priorities in advancing the kingdom of God? Well, by showing us first the mistake of the disciples. Uh, we see the mistake of the disciples first. Then we see the mission of the Father clarified by Christ. And finally, we see the mercy of the Savior in the healing of the leper. And that's how I want to think about this passage together. The mistake of the disciples, the mission of the Father, and the mercy of the Savior. Um, we begin this passage with the disciples coming and looking for Jesus. Uh, the narrative in verse 35 picks up where verses 32 through 34 left off. That's the kind of stuff you learn in seminary. Um, Verse 35 follows verse 34. But we remember what happened in in the text. If we read it, what we're reminded of is the fact that Jesus has just done a tremendous work of healing. He's become famous in all the region, verse 28 told us. And now all people were coming to him. And it, it was as if, as Mark records it, everyone in Capernaum was being brought to Jesus to be healed. It was this wonderful description of a, a Sabbath day followed by an evening where Jesus had done this wonderful healing. And here we find him early the next morning going out to pray. After this great work of healing has been done, after all of these people have come to him, Jesus goes out to find a place where he can pray by himself. And we read how the disciples respond to this. Immediately we find Simon and the other disciples looking for him. And they go out and they find him praying alone in this desolate place. And what do they say to him in verse 37? They found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Uh, That's kind of a reprimand. It's kind of a word of reproach to Jesus. Why are you out here alone when everyone is looking for you? Um, It's as if they're saying... You know, this is no way to build a following. You finally have all these people coming to you. Everybody's looking for you. Isn't that what you wanted? This is bad brand management to go off where nobody can find you if you're trying to build a following. Don't you want to be where people can find you? Aren't you seeking followers? That seems to be how they kind of reproach Jesus and how they speak to him. And how Jesus responds both in what he says and what he does in the following verses shows that they really don't understand what he's there to do. Right? They're thinking about success in human terms. They're thinking of how you build the kingdom in human terms. They think he is getting this fame, this notoriety, and he should build off of that. And someone said the disciples want to pursue the normal human policy of taking advantage of popularity and building on success. That's how they think Christ's kingship will be made effective in the world. Everyone is seeking you, Jesus. Isn't that what you wanted? Why would you come out here alone? where it's hard to find you. Um, And they show that they fundamentally misunderstand what Jesus wants in the world. Does Jesus want people 
just to seek him so that they can have healing from their diseases and from their demons. Is that what Jesus wants? Is that what Jesus comes seeking? No, who does Jesus want to come to him? He wants sinners to come. Sinners who are seeking a savior from the judgment to come. People who will respond to his word, which was repent and believe in the gospel of God. That's what Jesus wants. Sinners who are seeking a savior to save them from the judgment to come. Is that why everyone is seeking him? Or are they seeking merely a healer to deliver them from the difficulties and troubles of this life? Right, The sick and the demon-possessed know they need help. But the sad thing is sinners often don't know they need help. And the sad reality is that you can have illnesses cured and you can have demons cast out and still have no part in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus wants. Not just for people to experience the blessings of the power of the age to come breaking in on this present age, but to enjoy those blessings also in the age to come. To enjoy the full reality of the kingdom of God. To be participants in that. Jesus hasn't come to be a celebrity healer. He's come to be a savior. He wants sinners to come to him. Not people who want to experience heaven's blessings without listening to heaven's call. And so that's why he reasserts what the mission of the Father is in response to the mistake of the disciples. And that's why he's emphasizing that mission even before they come to him. That's why we find him praying at the beginning of our passage. It's interesting, in the other Gospels, Jesus is is always praying. They're always They're always portraying Jesus as a man of prayer. Um, And they repeatedly show him as a man of prayer. That's how we should think of our Lord as being a man of prayer. But interestingly, Mark only talks about Jesus praying three times. We know he prayed many other times. But Mark only highlights three prayers. One here at the beginning of the gospel. One sort of in the middle of Jesus' ministry after he has fed the 5,000. And one famously at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those are the only three times Mark records for us the Lord praying. And I think Mark is intentionally doing that because those are all sort of crisis points in Jesus' ministry. Times where he will be sorely tempted to abandon the mission of suffering service that the Lord has given him. Uh, to do other things. Here to just stay in Capernaum and be a popular celebrity healer. With everyone bringing you their troubles. And everyone loving you. There's a temptation in that. There's a temptation for our Lord there. To abandon the mission of suffering service that he's come to do. To preach the kingdom of God and then to die to establish the kingdom of God. 
And I think we find him praying here in the place because he's facing temptation. I think that's why he also goes out to find a desolate place to pray. That word for desolate that appears here is the same word that's been translated earlier as wilderness. Capernaum was a cultivated place. There wasn't a wilderness in Capernaum. But Jesus goes and finds the closest thing to a wilderness he can find in Capernaum. And why does he go there to pray? I think he goes there to pray to remind himself of his mission. And to reassert his commitment to the mission the Father has given him. He's been called to a wilderness experience. That's how Mark set up in the gospel the mission of our Lord. What is his mission in the world? It's to be tempted by Satan. It's to be out always in desolate places. It's to be always tempted by the devil and always assisted by his Father and his holy servants. But his is a wilderness experience. And I think the fact that he goes and prays is a, is a sign that he has resisted the temptation to abandon the mission and he is still committed to the mission of his father, which is to be a wilderness mission. To come and to suffer and to die for the sake of the kingdom. After preaching the necessity of the decision to repent and believe to escape the judgment. Jesus is resisting the temptation And reminding himself in prayer before his father of the calling he has and asserting that he is following the father's call. And he finds his strength in that prayer. Um, One person put it this way, his strength is in prayer through which he affirms his intention to fulfill the will of God. He shows his intention before his father to fulfill that will. He shows his intention before the disciples to fulfill that will when he tells them why he has come. Verse 38, he reminds them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That is why I came out into the world. We could say that is why he came out from heaven. To do what? To preach To preach what? The gospel. I'm going to continue to remind you of his message in Mark. Because it's so central to the mission of Christ in the world. To preach the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel of God. The kingdom is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The time of judgment is coming. And everybody doesn't understand the importance of the mission. Right? The disciples assume and the people are demanding that things should continue as they had so impressively begun at Capernaum. But Jesus says, no, my mission is to go out and to preach the kingdom everywhere. Calling on people to repent and believe everywhere. Uh, Preaching that truth that either one obeys the kingdom summons and is qualified for participation in God's kingdom or one rejects his call and is marked for judgment. Jesus says, this is the pressing need of the moment with the kingdom at hand. This is what I have come out to do. And then Jesus goes out and does what he has come to do. You see that in verse 39. He goes out preaching the gospel of God. And that gospel that he preaches is also the word that drives out many demons. 
Um, It's the means by which the power of Satan is overcome by the preaching of his word. That's why those facets of his ministry go together. The preaching of the word and the expulsion of demons. It's the word that continues to drive them forth before him. That's the mission of the Father. That's the mission of the church in the world. That's why this, this, this scene teaches us so many important things about the mission of God in the world and the mistakes that we're tempted to make. The church has always been tempted to pursue earthly rather than heavenly markers of success. To try to build on what's popular and then to try to build on the notoriety and the success that generates. To build what looks fruitful and profitable in the world's eyes. We're tempted to pursue those earthly markers of success and we're tempted to forget that we have a wilderness character in this world. The church will always have a wilderness character to its work in this world. We will always be tempted and harassed by the devil and his servants. And we will always be assisted and aided by our father and his servants. And the good news in the midst of our wilderness character is we serve a king who has passed through the wilderness and entered into glory and promises that all those who follow him through that path will end up where he is. But we can't forget where that path runs in this world. It does not run through a life of ease or popularity or success as the world counts these things. It runs through a narrow gate and a narrow way that's hard but leads to life. And we know that it leads to life because Jesus has gone before us as our forerunner, as our trailblazer and opened the way. He testifies to us, this is the way to life. But it's a wilderness way in this world. So we have to avoid those temptations to pursue success as the world counts it and to forget what our character is in this world. And how do we avoid that temptation? By prayer. The only way to avoid temptation is by prayer. Um, J.C. Ryle said, If Jesus, who was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners as Hebrews 7.26 describes him, if he thus prayed, how much more ought we who are compassed with infirmity? If Jesus in his power had to pray to avoid temptation, how much more we in our weakness have to pray to avoid temptation? That we would keep before our eyes the only real marker of success that matters in this world, which is faithfulness to God. It doesn't matter how else the world marks success. God marks success by faithfulness. And that's what we should be praying for. I love old prayers that always always seem to contain the line, Give us an eye single to thy glory. Help us to look fixed only on the glory of God. Faithfulness is the mark of success. Faithfulness to the mission of the Father is how we avoid the mistakes his disciples are so often tempted to make. And we can be thankful that we don't need to do this in our own strength, that we have the mercy of our Savior, which is our strength in this world, the grace of our God. And the mercy of our Savior is powerfully illustrated 
in this scene where Jesus then heals this poor leper who comes to him. Uh, This man comes as a leper. We're not told when or where he comes to him. We're just told his condition as he comes to the Lord. He's in that pitiable condition of having leprosy. Uh, That's a catch-all for any number of kinds of infectious skin diseases that people suffered. But the consequences of this disease were terrible. The physical consequences were terrible. Your body was literally falling apart through disease and decay. Um, It came with terrible social conditions as well. You had to be completely isolated from other people. Leviticus 13, 45 through 46 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. We've had all kinds of studies, haven't we, around COVID about how much masking and social isolation, the consequences, the tolls those things take psychologically. Um, And think of someone being that way all the time. This was a lifetime mask mandate, a lifetime social isolation mandate. You couldn't be near other people. Uh, This was a terrible disease to suffer with. And the man comes to Jesus pleading with him to cleanse him, to make him clean, to heal him. Uh, the, The priest could check you out and pronounce you clean, but the priest couldn't make you clean. In fact, as the rabbis, the Old Testament teachers of the law, surveyed the Old Testament, they said, you know, if you look at the history of the Old Testament, there's about as many people that get cleansed of leprosy as get raised from the dead. And they had a saying that it is as difficult to cleanse a leper as it is to raise the dead. And this man comes with a remarkable amount of confidence in Jesus. If you will... You can make me clean. If you will, you can heal me. And what is it that moves the Lord to do what he's asked and to heal his body? It's his mercy. It's his compassion. We're told that he was moved by pity. That word in Greek means to experience great affection and compassion for someone. The Lord has compassion on the sufferer. And he says simply, I will be clean. And he touches him and immediately he's clean. This would have been a miraculous thing to see. This person whose body is literally falling apart would have been restored to wholeness right in front of you. It would have been a remarkably miraculous moment because of that. It also would have been a shocking moment For Jesus to reach out and touch a leper. That was something you just did not do. You didn't do it because they could make you ceremonially unclean just by being near you. Much less touching them. But touching them also risks you'd catch what they were suffering with. No one touches lepers. It would have been a shocking thing to see. But what does it testify to? in the Lord touching this leper. Well, the first important thing it does is it's going to testify to us of the true nature of the law, which the Lord Jesus comes into the world to teach. The ceremonial law gives way to the law of love 
when the two come into collision. That's what the Lord is teaching. There's a higher law here at work. The law of love. He shows us the true nature of the law, but we also see the true power of Christ. What happened in the Old Testament when someone who was clean touched someone who was unclean? That uncleanness transferred to you. You became unclean. That was the way it always worked. But now what happens when Christ reaches out his hand to touch this person who is unclean? He makes him clean. What is it testifying to us? There's a greater power now that's come into the world. A cleansing power that's come into the world. The power that has superiority over the uncleanness of sin. The cleanness of his holiness can wipe it away. And Jesus will do that a number of times in his ministry. He proves the true nature of the law and the true power that he comes into the world with. And then he gives this man clear and stern instructions. Um, People in the translation try to soften it as best they can. But Jesus seems to be pretty hard on this guy in what he says to him. And maybe the hardness of what he says is because he knows what he's going to go out and do. Um, Because he gives him really two things to do. He says, go do what the law requires of someone who's been cleaned of leprosy. Go present yourself to the priest and go through the eight-day cleansing ritual followed by the sacrifices that are required according to the Old Testament law. Go and do that. Obey the law. But then Jesus also says, don't tell anyone about this. Say nothing to anyone about this. Um, those are the two instructions that we was, were told he was given. Now, we're not told what he does with regard to the priesthood. But we are told what he does with regards to the second commandment. He endures it entirely. And what does he do? He goes out and tells everybody what Jesus has done. Jesus says, do not tell anyone. Um, he goes out and tells everyone. He went out and began to freely talk about it and to spread the news. The exact thing that Jesus had told him not to do. And we immediately, you know, some people have asked, well, why, you know, why would Jesus do this? And a lot of ink is spilled. um, And you sometimes wonder if people can read. um, Because the very next part of the verse tells us why Jesus didn't want him to do that. Because his fame spread everywhere. And what did Jesus want to do? He wanted to go into each city and he wanted to go to the synagogue and he wanted to preach. And what has this fame done. It's done exactly what it did in Capernaum. Everyone just wants to come to find a healer. And no one wants to listen to the preaching. And now he can't openly enter the town because everyone comes to him. And now he can't even find refuge in the desolate places because they come to him from every quarter. This is why Jesus didn't want him to say anything. His popularity has made it impossible for him to carry forward his preaching mission as he'd wanted. And there's much we can learn from this passage as well about the mercy of God and how we are to respond to it. First thing we should do is respond with great thanksgiving that our Lord has compassion on pitiable sufferers because we all come to him unclean. And how thankful we can be that when the unclean come to him, he's moved with compassion. We all come as those who are unclean. 
Isaiah says it in 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And isn't it wonderful to know that as pitiable as we are, as unclean as we are, that when we come to the Lord, He's moved by compassion for us. He sees us in our pitiable state. He sees us in our suffering. And what moves him in his holiness is compassion for sinners. Praise the Lord that that's how he receives us when we come to him. How thankful we can be that he shows us that compassion, knowing that we are not only pitiable sufferers, but that we are persistent sinners. You know, this guy comes and he does the one, one of the two things Jesus asked him specifically not to do. And Jesus healed him knowing that. He was moved by compassion, knowing exactly what this guy was going to go out and do. And I think we can draw great comfort from that as well. You know, sometimes people think if I could just kind of sweep myself together enough to come to Jesus, clean up my act enough, then he'll receive me. But if I persist, he's not going to have compassion on me. He knows who you are. When the Father gave him to us, he knew who he was giving to Jesus and to whom Jesus was being given. Persistent sinners who are not going to get things right. And how thankful we can be to know that Jesus is moved by compassion for people he knows are persistent sinners. Now that's not at all to say that we should just say, well, we're sinners, so let's go out and sin. Or because we're failures, let's go out and fail. No, what we should strive for is to not do what this man did. To be different in how we respond to the mercies of Jesus. To disobey his word is an act of ingratitude. To not be grateful to the one who's done so much for us. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same sorts of sins as he fell into. Because what did he go out and do? Maybe he meant to glorify the name of Christ. Maybe he said, I, I know a bunch of other leper buddies that we all have to hang out together because we all have leprosy. They all need healing too. I'm going to go tell them about this. They need to hear about this. Maybe he wanted to glorify the name of Christ by proclaiming this act of healing to everyone who would hear it. But what did he actually end up doing? He ended up hampering Christ's mission. In earthly terms, he ended up hampering Christ's mission. Christ was unable to go forward and preach as he'd intended because this man hampered his mission. And I think we have to beware of committing the same sorts of sins because sometimes we can seek to glorify God in ways that violate his word. If we seek to glorify God in ways that violate his word, we're just going to end up hampering the mission too. We have to obey the Lord. We must not be wiser than God. And in our zeal for thinking we're advancing the kingdom of God, doing things that God has told us expressly not to do. We want to be Christians who engage the world, but we have to engage the world on the Lord's terms, not on our own terms. 
And we should take a lesson here, a page from Mark's gospel here, to remind ourselves that if we disobey God while we try to engage the world, we won't advance Christ's cause. We'll only end up hampering it. Right? If God says, speak evil of no one, and we go out in the world speaking evil of people, if God says, avoid quarreling, and we go out in the world and are a quarrelsome people, if he says, be gentle, and we go out in the world and are a harsh people, if he says, go show perfect courtesy toward all people, and we are a discourteous people, what are we going to accomplish in the world? We might be full of zeal for God, thinking we're really serving the glory of Christ by the way we engage the world. But all we're going to end up doing at the end is gumming up the works, hampering the mission, seeking to, ceasing to be a city on a hill people look to or light that people are drawn to and be the kind of people that say, People say, if that's what Christianity is like, I want no part of it. That's why I think we can go right into doing what he did here. I'm going to go glorify Christ. I think I know just how. I'll do the exact thing he told me not to do and expect good things to happen. Um, And we make the same mistake, and we shouldn't. The fruit of the Spirit never goes out of season. Um, It never spoils. We shouldn't be wiser than God. We should listen to his whole counsel. As we conclude, we can be thankful that in God's providential direction, the mission of Christ can't be totally hampered. It ends his preaching plan for Galilee, but it just shifts his ministry to a new stage. Um, But we've been reminded in this passage of Christ's kingdom priorities, and let us strive to be those who advance the mission of Christ through faithful obedience to all of his word, and in steadfast prayer for the glory of his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word that teaches us and reminds us again of your mission in the world and the mistakes your disciples can make in conceiving of their own mission for you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to avoid the temptation of looking at things in through earthly lenses, and that we might keep an eye to your kingdom priorities as Christ has laid them out. You would, be, you would help us to avoid the temptations of chasing after other things and keep us faithfully committed to preaching your gospel and to obeying your word, seeking to serve you through the means which you've established. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity that it gives us. And we pray that we would be those who listen to everything it calls us to do. Hear us and help us in this by your spirit, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.